0: Bill just... Paxton, probably the most remembered part of this film, yeah. I think
1: it's fair to say.
0: Game Over, man. Game Over, man. He was there the morning of JFK's assassination. What? Yeah, there's a picture of him as a like six-year-old being held up in
1: Dallas as like JFK is going by. Talk about, about Game Over, man. I <laughs> <laughs> so I thought we were going to be revealing <laughs> something else, but it t- <laughs> turns out... <laughs> Okay, that's the drop. That's the drop. (laughs) You're tall, but I'm standing in front of you. It's a podcast. Welcome to your are Tall, But I'm Standing in Front of You, the podcast where two friends circling the drain of academia examine the cultural detritus of the 20th century. I'm Devin. I am Ethan. And here we are. It's episode two.
0: This... Nobody thought this day would happen. Um, this is... Uh, I feel pretty confident with uh, the reception that we had after the last episode. The, the greatest indicator I got was that um More than five people listened to the first podcast, which to me is a phenomenal success.: Yeah, my... it, it deeply changed me as a human being.'m uh, I'm, I'm a fundamentally different person today than I was when we recorded the first podcast.
1: You know, because we're podcasters now, mm-hmm. you know, and ever since I've become a podcaster, I'm just I walk around, I see life differently now. Yeah, someone comes up to me and they start telling me, some sort of like quirky story about their life that is somehow encapsulating something about like the essential soul of America. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to tell other people about this for money <laughs> and and not credit you at all. And you're not gonna benefit from it in any way. And that's just how I see life yeah. now.
0: Well no one would no one cares to hear from like those people you're talking to. They're not no. podcast they don't
1: have the the, you know, um persona to be interesting yeah i think it was the uh the hungarian communist theorist georg Lukacs who said that you know it is only the podcaster who can synthesize the contradictions of the given society and give them form and make them into something digestible by the listener and that's just what we're doing here at uh our podcast which has a purpose it has a theme We don't need to talk about what that is. So I'd
0: like to thank our sponsor, the No Malarkey Vaccine America's Back Express. Uh, um, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, uh, thank you for your support. Uh, Really instrumental because, unlike our last
1: episode, Devin and I are in the same room together. Yeah. In uh, person. Absolutely. Now, you know, and uh, so we've done it all. all. We're two episodes in. We've done virtual episodes. We've done in-person episodes. And, you know, what are we talking about this week, Ethan? So this week we are talking about the 1986
0: film Aliens, uh, written and directed by James Cameron, not Kirk Cameron. Um, And while we are talking about Aliens, um, I feel like, the the specter of alien looms large over uh aliens the film so i feel like we may touch a bit on on alien uh this um you know but but
1: technically we're we're talking about aliens this this weekend yeah you know so we're one year in the past from the last episode (laughs) we we watched predator 1987 you know and ethan says well let's watch aliens you know, which I had actually never seen. I've seen Alien. I've seen Alien Resurrection. Um, you know, and, I, and the, the first thing I say to Ethan is, like, you know, we're trying to schedule when we're going to do the podcast. And I'm like, well, I need to make sure I watch Alien first because I want to make sure I'm going in to Aliens with like all the proper information. Uh, and it turns out all you need to know about Alien uh, going into this film is that there's an Alien... Mm -hmm. and it killed everyone but Sigourney Weaver, Mm -hmm. and she survived. And the cat. And the cat survived, and that everything you loved about that film is about to be systematically destroyed (laughs) by a gentleman by the name of James Cameron.
0: I am um, partly relieved, mostly upset, that you watched Alien prior to Aliens because you uh, gave me the inspiration to re- re-watch Alien before watching Aliens again as well. Uh, and that really, that really drove home the disparity in quality and I think like just aesthetic appeal of these two films in contrast to one another that I probably wouldn't have picked up on had I not watched Alien mm-hmm. directly before watching Aliens. So um, that... That is deeply disappointing for me coming into this conversation, these these events that, that happen Because when I was growing up, the idea, the general conversation was that Alien was the best sci-fi horror film, whereas Aliens was the best sci-fi action film. Um, and that is something that I've kind of held true just as, you know, as with most things. I learned it when I was 10 and just have a... It has become an integral part of my belief system, and so to revisit these two films had a had a, a visceral reaction for me in terms of realizing um, the gap between my perceived uh, uh, expectation of these two films and and how it actually panned out.
1: Yeah, but I'm glad we watched them though. I like, am like good. in in pairing because. You know, it's interesting you say that because there is one way of thinking of these films in the their difference in terms of genre, right? Alien is very much like a horror film that happens to have like a sci-fi concept, right? And Aliens is much... It's like a lot like Predator, actually, <laughs> yeah. which I'm sure we'll talk about more. But for me, and it really hit it home... Uh, watching them back to back, and especially with the first scene, the opening shots of Aliens, which I'm going to talk about in a second, is the way that what's, like, the actual difference is about eras of sci-fi. Not just genres, right? Like, Alien is sort of, like, the pinnacle of this sort of 1970s high art science fiction. Science fiction is sort of this, like, this genre of, of real ideas You know like and i'm not even saying it was that necessarily but it at least had these pretensions right and you have films like 2001 and you have films like alien um with just like you know just there's not i'm glad we didn't do an episode on alien because i have very little say about it besides (laughs) like it's like really good the shots are perfect just aesthetically great i mean really interesting politics as well which unfortunately gets completely evacuated in this film right but then and that's 79 right yeah yeah and so and it's weird because it's like it's not like alien is a utopian film like people are still trying to get like they're complaining about the bonuses like capitalism is still there but there's a certain kind of beautiful melancholy to it you know which you're nostalgic for and then suddenly you wake up and it's 1986 ronald reagan is president who so far is the main character of this podcast i would say (laughs)
2: Ask him to go in there with all that
3: gun. Win just one for the Kipper. I don't know where I'll be then. But I'll know about it.
2: I'll be happy.
1: And um you know, everything you thought you loved about the post war era, I guess. The uh, the possibility of of a if not a better future at least at least one that would be not dramatically worse is destroyed and this is staged by the opening shots of the film (laughs) which i just want to relate biographically my experience of watching them i start this film and it it literally opens exactly where we left off Mm -hmm. where we are getting these shots of uh ripley right in the uh the like sleep chamber yeah, in the ship. Technically, so like, it picks up fifty-seven years. Well, you don't. Yeah, you don't. But know you don't that that know. Yet. It looks like so, directly like, after. Yeah, visual and this is the thing. Looks like is what's very important to me, <laughs> right? Because like, we see Ripley in the in the freezing chamber with the cat. We see all these shots of of the uh, the Nostromo, the ship from the first film. And there are these these long shots with these great angles. The music is great. Everything is covered in this, like, sparkle of starlight. And it is just so filmically beautiful. Like, in a kind of, like, new Hollywood 60s, 70s way. And I paused the film, and I, like, messaged you, and I was like, I love this film. This is what I'm looking for. And I was expecting a continuation of Alien. Because I had rewatched Alien and I was like, it's so good. And I was like, Aliens mm. is not doing what Predator's doing. It's giving me more of that 70s sci-fi aesthetic. And what it's actually doing is it's giving you the taste of that. It's showing you they can still do it. <laughs> it's saying like, oh no, I'm James Cameron. I know how to do that technically. Mm-hmm. Like, I have the, the, the physical skills to film things in a way that looks like... Uh, like kind of like beautiful and almost like modernist in that way right Mm. but i'm also going to now deny it to you for the rest of the film i'm showing to you just so you can see it being completely destroyed and instead what you are going to be be given is just the ronald reagan universe par excellence so 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 in terms of the real world right we've woken up it's been a pretty long time since alien in terms of like the actual time on the planet earth it's been seven years which Been fifty-seven years. Yeah. Well, well, the real world. (laughs) I don't understand the world you and I. I don't understand what you're saying. What do you mean? (laughs) So, in terms of time on the planet Earth since Alien came out, fifty-seven years. It's been seven years. Uh, And uh, you know, you've gone from. From, you know that the last ghast of the 70s through the stagflation into the, the you know the high period of neoliberalism but then we find out diegetically when ripley wakes up and for some reason they're always telling people in films that they've been asleep for 57 years <laughs> with like very little prep but ripley finds out she's been actually like asleep on the ship for 57 years and uh she's waking up uh has been discovered by chance by like uh what is it like a like a salvaging ship or something. Yeah, like they that. were they were
0: disappointed to find her because they were hoping they'd get some salt, but because there's someone living there, they don't get the
1: yeah the reward. Yeah, yeah. But so fifty seven years of like diegetic time have passed, and uh, Ripley is now uh, forced to basically recount the plot of Alien for these <laughs> uh, these um, this military brass explaining what happened.
0: Not e- no, uh, the the people she explains it for are the company. It's the Whalen yutani Corporation. Mm-hmm. is who she first explains it to. Uh, who in Alien they're simply referred to as the company, but mm-hmm. it establishes that she has to essentially report to the folks who owned the space refinery that she blew up, trying to explain why she did it. They don't seem very receptive to her story. They they're not sure whether or not to believe it. Um, given that the fact that there's now a colony on that planet where they landed and found that spaceship with the the eggs on it that started this whole thing off and they're doing just fine so um they why would we believe her but oh wait immediately they lose contact with the planet and the the space marines come in with paul risers uh who plays the kind of the weyland yutani the the corporate stooge in this film he comes into like Hey, weirdest thing, crazy coincidence. We just lost contact with the colony of this place that you told us about. Can you please come with us to the colony to investigate? And if you do that, we'll give you like your old job back, essentially. So you gotta, this is a win-win for everybody. Um, so it takes about 17 minutes for us to get to like just explaining why Ripley is now in this new scenario where there's going to be aliens involved, obviously
1: yeah and so i watched the director's cut or something it had some restored footage right and there's a couple scenes that i think are cut probably from the version you watched where so we get two other crucial uh pieces of information one we actually see the ship from the original alien being rediscovered by the child newt's family the other scene that gets cut here which though thematically is so important is we find out that Ripley had a daughter and oh. uh, that this daughter died at some point at the age of like 60 something, right? Because she's, she's immediately asking, what about my daughter? And and they, uh, they do some research, they come back and we're like, we found out your daughter, she died like, you know, X number of years ago. And there's this scene of her kind of like touching the photo of her daughter as an elderly woman and... Uh, saying how, like, she promised she'd be back for her birthday or something, mm. right? And so this is cut from the uh, theatrical version of the film, right? But as we'll talk about later, this is very important because the film is establishing that Ripley is supposed to be a mother, right? <laughs> and obviously, because obviously, what, what mean, else could she uh, yeah. possibly be? Yeah. And then, um, you know... Roasting, Frankly, I get
0: why they cut it, because why, why establish that she you know had some had some other reason why she needed to be a mother. That's yeah, no, that's actually totally should, unnecessary.
1: Yeah, we should bring that back up later cuz it's, yeah. it's that's very but like there is like a diegetic reason for Ripley's uh longing for a position of motherhood more so, but it is cut from the film because <laughs> yeah. like obviously like, you know, well, if she's a woman, what else is she going to do, yeah. right?
0: So, Paul Reiser's character Burke, the the company guy convinces uh, Ripley to go on this mission she says one caveat though she says you're going
3: out there to destroy them right not to study not to bring
1: back and he goes oh yeah no for sure <laughs> yeah and, and this is like kind of the fundamental tension of then the then why right? are they going there yeah. <laughs> it's a little them. it's a little unclear what exact like what exactly is going on here if you're not like cuz you obviously know what's actually going on is that they the company wants a sample, right? But but so this uh the the uh the corporation, right? Which remind me what they're called again? Waylan Yutani. Waylan Yutani, right? So it's interesting cuz they start in Alien as you said, they're like literally just like a background detail, like they're on some boxes and stuff, right? Yeah. But uh this film starts the, you know, The mythologizing of the Aliens franchise where it makes them really like a a entity. And Burke is the first time in the Alien franchise we've seen like an actual representative of the corporation. In the Uh, first company, well we have it indirectly with the Android. Right. Yeah, we have the the mother AI. But this is the first time we have someone who actually is like a bureaucrat or not even a bureaucrat, like a uh, this is the first time we have someone who is a, a company, a human company employee, right? Not clear what his actual job
0: is uh, outside of this mission uh, beyond
1: just working for the company, but... His job is to be the most sniveling piece of shit that you can <laughs> imagine, right? And you made the joke last week about uh, how Paul Riser should run in the uh, California governor primary, right? But he is mm-hmm. kind of as... Arnold Schwarzenegger is to sort of the Republican fantasy Mm -hmm. he is to the Democrat fantasy which is like even their fantasies are the most ineffectual pointless loser people imaginable he would absolutely win this election in a
0: landslide and I will say it again and I, I I don't think this falls within the terms of the restraining order but I implore you Paul Reisner to put your hat in the ring Um, it's not too late it's not too late Um,
1: you know this podcast is going to bring Paul Reisner to the attention of upwards of four people so double the audience one of them might live in California statistically (laughs) there's not a zero percent chance that's all you need to have a recall uh, uh, a successful recall petition Mm mm-hmm so, you know, and it's like, at this point in the film, right, to get back to brass tacks, there, there's sort of this question, right, which is if you've watched Alien, which as, as my partner, Kanar, was pointing out to me while we were watching Alien, the people in Alien, the characters, haven't watched Alien. <laughs> so it's easy for us to watch that film and be like, You need to take this more seriously. That's the alien, right? (laughs) But so also the people in Aliens haven't watched Alien. The only person in Aliens that has watched Alien is Ripley, right? And she's literally presenting this information to the company. And yet they are like, nope, we got to go there. Obviously, the solution is like do nothing or I guess nuke the place. I don't know if we want this podcast to endorse nuking um, possibly abandoned colonies or not, but those seem like the two tenable options to me. Yeah, I'll put my I'll put my endorsement on that. Yeah, but uh, instead there's this insistence, right? And I think what I've written down is they say- It's what we call a shake and bake colony. There are no, quote, indigenous life forms. There's nothing to worry about. What's the big deal, right? But then the question is why does the company have to go there right and we can analyze it as a specific decision right which is sort of what we've been doing so far like this seems kind of stupid knowing what we know should you do that but to do that is asking the company to betray what is ultimately its fundamental purpose which is one of the expansion of capitalism which requires colonialism right and this is the most interesting part of the film for me because we get a lot of the language of colonialism we're talking about colonists we're talking about settlers we're talking about people establishing themselves on this colony trying to get an economic foothold right and like i said before the family of newt they're not evil people right Mm -hmm. they're not specifically trying to do anything evil they're just trying to in a completely fucked universe Mm -hmm. figure something out get some kind of security right find some kind of foothold but from the company's perspective right it needs to keep pushing it needs to keep going because as we know from alien we do we are not living in some kind of like post-capitalist universe of post scarcity or something right we are this is just capitalism which has avoiding confronting its contradictions by moving into space
2: we've grown used to the idea of space and perhaps we forget that we've only just begun
0: and just to be clear it's not necessarily the company that is going to investigate the company's colony it's the united states space marines Um, who are essentially the lackeys for the company that are going in to uh,
1: see what's going on here. And again, they don't know anything, right? Much like the previous film, they don't know what's going on. They're lackeys. But the previous film was wage workers, people who were concerned of getting more money, right? Aliens, part of what it's doing is taking that, what's ultimately a class critique of Alien and moving it into the realm of the military, Right, which does make a certain amount of sense in terms of what the capitalists would actually be doing, right? When they encounter this kind of pressure from their attempt to expand, their attempt to colonize, they will uh, take recourse to military means. Um, but then, you know, it's space, so they that should not be happening, right? But the alien itself is this sort of phantasmic phantasmatic projection um of the colonizer i think right of like what of the expected resistance that the colonizer uh will encounter
0: and and you know uh hadley's hope the colony was being terraformed to uh to make sure that the planet could um produce bananas
1: yeah yeah (laughs) but you know like the insistence of the company that there are no indigenous life forms here that this is a blank slate it just needs to be terraformed it just needs to be made into a new place right we can look at that and we can say like oh okay so that is a wish fulfillment right that's like a sci-fi solution to you know, that's not what really happens in the real world, because obviously when Europe tries to expand colonially, it encounters real people real resistance. But also, the col- the European colonists who did that did not consider those people real people, mm-hmm. right? So, like, I feel like the alien right is in we might read it as this sort of like science fictional version of like, what if the colonists encountered this? But yeah. it actually is a kind of literal representation of what discursively politically philosophically colonizing nations generate the capital o other of the areas they're colonizing as do you know what i mean mm-hmm.
0: it, it's it's this this the manifest destiny of uh science fiction tropes you know it's mm-hmm. it's essentially the west but in space um yeah <laughs>
1: Once again you know which we don't intend to be a uh, a uh, trope of this show but we once again encounter a uh, lunatics vision of multiculturalism <laughs> via the uh, the space marines and i don't know if we have to go through every last member of the space marines um who no. so sadly become like the thing from Aliens, in a lot of ways, like all the video games you're playing, a Space Marine, the action figures or Space Marines, right? Who well, yeah. don't even appear in Alien, but yeah. we do want to talk about at least one special member of the Space Marines in in length, I think.
0: Yeah, Vasquez. I mostly just want to point out that Vasquez is the the actor who plays her is not a Latina woman. Uh, I think she identifies as Jewish. They literally put her in brown face and gave her um, brown contacts uh, and gave her this haircut of like the stereotype of a like Latina in L.A. in the 80s that James Cameron would have thought of. And even the actress, the actress in trying to justify her role was talking like, well, I grew up in L.A. and so... I encountered some of that lingo of the gang language. And uh, when I was studying for the part, I asked my parents to send me a book about, you know, the, the, the gangs, uh, the Chicana gangs in in LA to help prepare for this. It was just like, uh, it, (laughs) I don't know what more to say besides the existence of the Vasquez character is deeply problematic when you think back on the existence of this film in a way that like, I haven't seen anyone really address how fucked up it was that they put this actress who has like red hair and freckles and mm-hmm. like Latino women can have red hair and freckles, but mm-hmm. like they wanted to be this stereotype of their perception of the, mm-hmm. you know, here's the Hispanic woman with the gang lingo lingo doing this Um and so it's really fucked up that they and no one talks about this. The actress essentially just says, "Oh, I'm a character actress, so I, I take on whatever role I'm in." So that was just Mm. me taking on that role. It's really fucked up.
1: And the to be clear, the the like Latinxness of this character is not just like (laughs) incidental. It's not just even implied by the brown face. Yeah, seventy five percent of the words she says are Spanish. But like the kind of Spanish that you, they they have Spanish speaking characters say in action films, where it's like I'm gonna speak perfect English, but then be like "vominos" or something, right? Like it's yeah. like oh, something like that. <laughs> and um, you know, but it really comes to, I think, you know, we can we can zero in on the absurdity of this choice, right? And their claim in defending this is that they needed a muscular actress, and there were no other muscular actresses available. Which I'm sure in the 1980s there was like there was no actual Latina women who were muscular enough to play this and all, but it's also like just make the character Jewish then if you have to to cast this actress. Do you what? know what happened? No, um, the, the actress Jeanette Goldstein, who
0: showed up to uh, uh, to um, audition for the role, she thought the film Aliens was going to be about illegal aliens and so she wore like a short skirt and like a tank top um and she had also been out of work so she had been working out so she was just like muscular and Mm. so she showed up Mm -hmm. totally not knowing what the film was about but sort of going with what she thought she should do to audition for Mm -hmm. it and they were like oh you're muscular so you're going to play (laughs) Vasquez but I don't care that you're like you
1: you're not <laughs> at all
0: sure. who this character is supposed to be you're going to you're vasquez you've yeah. got the muscles
1: i mean this is fucking horrifying obviously to mm-hmm. hear uh, but you know this is the logic of the film as i was just trying to talk about with like the way the xenomorph for the alien right is this like phantasmic projection of the colonized as this like this image of like who is being colonized as being horrifying incredibly strong requiring a outsized military response to contain all these things are being reproduced in the exact in the production of the film itself by you know their attempt to cast a latinx actress and doing whatever they did instead (laughs) And, and and like the veneer between
0: the science fiction world of aliens and the Reagan 80s is so thin. Be- to the props. point To the point where they even, because of that whole the whole silliness with, oh, she thought this was about illegal aliens, they literally put a line in the film where I think Bill Pax's character says, oh, right. right. Somebody said alien. She thought they said illegal alien and signed up. <laughs> Laugh track. Hilarious. Mm. Uh, so that... Like, it's it's yeah. not even that far removed in, in how they portray it on the
1: screen. Yeah, and this is the way in which Aliens is really holding the torch from Alien in spite of itself, right? Because something Alien is doing, in the way that it is such a film about class politics and worker problems, right, is it actually is not in the tradition of sci-fi, of a utopian imaginary of another kind of world. It's a realist depiction of the world as it was using the tools of science fiction. Aliens is a realist depiction of the Reagan 80s using the tools of science fiction. It just turns out the 80s sucked. <laughs> so the movie sucks. Spoiler alert. But with with the Vasquez character... Oh, shit.
0: Um, spoilers for those who have not seen 1986's uh, Aliens. Um, please advance to the 115-minute mark. Um, where
1: you we know. reveal whether or not Richard Jewell was guilty. Anyway, that's why I think he's innocent. Wow. But, um, you know, this is the thing. It's like this is a more honest form of, of capitalist multiculturalism because this is all capitalism actually cares about is appearances. Hmm. It cares about is this depiction of this character as a Latino woman credible enough are we going to experience blowback from this that's what they care about as a as a blockbuster film and it's just that yeah. in 2020 we can say like oh we're less racist than that now but it's actually just that the uh the conditions for what is passable have changed right but you can look to any number of films you can look to the the you know the, the the products of like of of woke scion what the fuck's his name <laughs> <laughs> you have to guy. narrow it way down. Uh, the Hamilton guy, Lynn <laughs> right? Lin, Lin, uh, Manuel, Lin Miranda. Manuel Miranda, right? Like, yeah. like, like it's it's always just about what is the, the complete social situation in which the film is being. Hey, made. Let's
0: make uh, Thomas Jefferson black.
1: Yeah. We What's did the it. problem? <laughs> we did it. We did it anyway. Hey. Um, the podcast is
0: over, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> we did it um so i want to at least acknowledge there are some other marines involved many of their names begin with like h's or something uh that they, they sort of become an amalg- amalgamation eventually it's just this they get mixed up uh eventually
1: but bill paxton is in it he, Bill this, Paxton, probably the most remembered part of this film yeah. i think it's fair to say game over man game over man
0: game over and then he continues that general theme of talking for the entirety of the rest of the film in which he's alive bill paxton
1: a classic example of like sticking the landing early <laughs> and then just like doing the same trick over and over again yeah but so you got you got bill paxton is hudson and he's his main characteristic is he says man a lot yeah. You've got a bunch of people who, spoiler alert, are about to die, so we don't need to go into them. I will. Uh, we'll talk about it later, but um, we also have the bishop character. Yeah, bishop. We're going to talk about, and then we have Hicks. Yes. So Hicks is is uh, from a modern viewer. It's very surprising that Hicks survives as long as he does, because you watch it as a modern viewer and you're like, oh, I know Bill Paxton. Some of these other people are dis- distinguishable to me. The guy that like plays like whatever his name is Matthew, no Alpone, Apone. The guy that plays him, he's in Halo, so like I know mm. who he is. But Hicks survives the longest of anybody, uh, which is just purely by virtue of having been the guy from the Terminator. Yeah, that, that's why I mean, that, that's why uh, James Cameron. Well, apparently they went through a number of people to play the Hicks character
0: before mm. before just landing on the guy that is very conveniently who James Cameron
1: would want to have in the role. Who could we possibly get to play this character who has no discernible traits besides the fact that he doesn't die? Um, I was thinking of uh, Pete Buttigieg. <laughs> <laughs> Uh. All right, that was good So Pete (laughs) Buttigieg and everybody else They get on the fucking plane Or whatever it is Mm -hmm. I can't tell you what it is They go to the colony So this is where the film really does go into hyperdrive here Because, you know, we've been setting up We've been talking about issues of colonialism We've been talking about you know sigourney weaver's experience of waking up after 57 years which she gets over very quickly and then we've been introducing all these folks and then it's like time to drop down to the planet we are doing the classic like helmets on in the like sci-fi version of a helicopter we're going down to uh where it all began i guess yeah can i can i do a quick aside
0: yeah um, so there is this aspect of, uh, even beyond like the, the colonialism, there's this huge aspect of, you know, gun culture. It's, it's everyone They're the Marines with their big ass guns, they're sort of in love with their big pulse rifles. And there's this. Very militaristic theme, obviously, throughout the film, because it follows a group of uh, colonial space marines. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I was watching in, you know, as you know, I like to prepare for these shots. So I watched uh, a few minutes of a behind the scenes. Uh, That was the extent of my prep work. And the juxtaposition between Sigourney Weaver and her perception. You get the idea that Sigourney Weaver, not a big fan of Aliens. Mm-mm. Recognizes that Alien was a artistically phenomenal uh film. Aliens
1: much more of a cash grab. Mm. And um she... Well these guns, right? Yeah. These guns are designed to be sold as not as guns, but as toys, as video game weapons. Right, like you really see like the Marines and aliens are setting up aesthetics for for like sci-fi shooting like sci-fi shooting aesthetics for decades, yeah like Halo, Gears of War, starship Troopers, which is a of course brilliant ironic pastiche of this hmm. aesthetic, but nonetheless is utilizing it right all of these films and games like. I don't know if they go further back than aliens, but it's it's as far back as I know. Like the guns that like we talked about the big ass gun that Jesse the Body Ventura has in Alien or <laughs> in Predator <laughs> has nothing on the big ass gun in Alien which requires it to be like fused to your pelvis in some way cuz you can't otherwise hold it up. Yeah.
0: Uh, I want to play this clip that's the juxtaposition of how Sigourney Weaver feels about this whole aspect versus her her um, uh, co-actors in this.
3: It's actually hard for me morally to justify being in a film with so many guns. I just find it very upsetting. And that's the biggest problem for me is that I, reading the script, I had no idea how martial the atmosphere would be and how much emphasis that would have. I give money to anti-gun legislation and i mean i've never i never even go to see movies about guns especially killing people i can't you know i mean i just think oh i think it would be very difficult for an actor to you'd really have to sort of do a number on yourself
1: you know? i love shooting guns. That's like <laughs> the guns <laughs> like well you know and it's interesting because like sigourney weaver says she's like surprised right by how martial the atmosphere is from reading the script right Mm -hmm. this is the thing because up to this point in the film we're like only halfway through the film i think in terms of like runtime but in terms of the script we've got to be like 80 percent of the way through right because like any kind of dialogue any kind of actual character development any kinds of like themes that are being laid out like this is why we talked about colonialism so early which should be a big-ticket theme, but it just falls out because the minute the military ends up at the base of this planet, and again, this is true from a militaristic perspective, right? All these considerations fly out the window, and it's like survive, shoot, reload, kill. That's all the film is concerned with for quite some time. But yeah, so in the meantime, we've got all these uh, these beefy Marines. They're not nearly as beefy. Not as Not nearly the but muscle mass is the muscle mass index is low. They say this lean film. and mean. Mm-hmm. They're like catchphrase, and that's really apt. But Some, they're all about yeah. the weapons, and they're all about the interfaces. So much yeah. of this film happens through screens. Yeah, like in, including what we see on the screen, we're seeing another character's screen view. But they land, they clear the base, there's not really anything in sight. A good a good encapsulation for the aesthetic of this film
0: is as they are launching to the planet, you have the, it's essentially a helicopter pilot, but it's their mm. landing vehicle. The pilot, um, she has aviator sunglasses on in space, <laughs> um... So I don't, you know, there's no practical reason, but it's entirely aesthetically like the the situation you're trying to create about the the military and this. Yeah. Yeah. This is
1: the Reagan 80s on film, man. Yeah. This is the Reagan 80s on film, and if we didn't have the pilot wearing aviator glasses, you might not know they're an aviator. Yeah. We got to have those on there. So we get there, and, you know, everything's normal, except we find the one thing to keep this film from being a pure matter of of uh, masculinist death, we find a child <gasps> We do we go pure
0: Spielberg. we say let's we need a you know what this film needs some
1: annoying kid for the rest of the entire film yeah newt yeah, yeah. so this is the uh, the child who in the deleted scene I mentioned, We've seen her entire family die mm-hmm. uh, as a result of uncovering the aliens. But somehow she has survived longer than anyone on the entire planet. And When Ripley first finds her and goes to her hiding spot, finds like a
0: photo of her that says her name, that's how she knows, it says second grade citizenship award. But I mean, they originally said there's like 60 or 70 families in this entire colony. <laughs> so how big is the second grade i don't know that this is necessarily that prestigious of an award it's it's almost like uh okay everyone got an award and hurt like of the four second graders mm-hmm. that's what she got but so. who
1: gets to survive ethan you know what i mean it's who because this is again the reagan 80s the person that demonstrated superior citizenship service guarantees citizenship mm-hmm. yeah
2: i'm doing my part
0: i'm doing my part i'm doing my part
2: i'm doing my part too (laughs) (laughs) they're doing their part are you join the mobile infantry and save the world service guarantees citizenship
1: yeah but this this part of the film it's all about re-establishing ripley in this film because in the first film her gender is largely incidental she Mm -hmm. is one of several workers it's not even clear at the beginning of alien that she's the most important person. Yeah. It's not even clear 30 minutes in that she's that important. You've got some powerhouse actors in that film. I don't even know what her job is on the ship, right? Like she just happens to be the one that figures it out. But like this film is like re-inscribing her, not as a worker, but as a mother, right? She's here to protect Newt, care about newt more than the male marines can and you know she's a badass don't worry Mm -hmm. but also don't worry that her being a badass precludes her from being a heteronormative maternal figure
0: yeah and, and we'll talk more i think in a bit about motherhood and uh like that aspect of this which is you know a central theme of this film one of the things that I often think about is Ripley is in popular culture presented as here's how you write female characters. Well, here's how you actually do it. You know, as kind of a contrast to how they're often presented and perhaps I think I would argue how it's done in, in, in aliens. Uh, The thing that I find so interesting about that is that the Ripley character in Alien was written as a man. Mm -hmm. and then then they hired Sigourney Weaver to play uh Ripley so what made it work so well is that the screenwriters weren't trying to conceive of the characters oh this is the strong female lead as they kind of were unbridled from that like the tropes of here's how we write a female character and that managed to make it work pretty well in Alien because Mm -hmm. otherwise you might imagine in the late '70s it would have fallen on a lot of pretty uh, like sexist tropes, um, but but the character wasn't written as like wasn't well written as a like strong female lead. But again, in Alien, the the sex of the characters is pretty irrelevant, mm-hmm. you know, and and the race the race of the characters is irrelevant. Yeah, they're yeah. all just workers, uh, like on this space refinery, and so uh We'll chat about motherhood and and but like Alien, there is a strong theme around like sexuality and just just in the tropes that he uses or not the tropes but the design of the alien. The design, yeah, like the, the way it's that, not
1: that it's a sexless film or anything. Yeah, but it doesn't but fall into tropes essentially. Yeah, not in the same way. Whereas yeah. whereas in Aliens. It really just has the energy of that CIA ad where the woman is talking about (laughs) being a cisgender millennial with generalized anxiety disorder, which whom among us has not been a crew member of the Nostramo and thus fully fully conforms to that description. You know, we get to we're on the surface of the planet. Hudson's picking up the colonists' trackers. They appear to be all together at the base of the fusion reactor, and I mean...
0: They're obviously... Like, how do you not look and they make, oh, well, they're obviously all dead. You've seen evidence of a battle. All of their bodies are together at the base
1: of a fusion reactor. They have to realize that they're dead, right? Yeah, but this film's... A big part of it is that people are not looking with their eyes... They're always looking through screens and they're looking through tracers and they're looking through mm-hmm. detectors, right? Mm-hmm. And the, the the famous thing about the aliens is it's not even clear how they subvert these trackers, but they do very easily. <laughs> like there's so in both one of the closest conformities between alien and aliens is these scenes where someone's staring at a screen being like, three feet, two feet, right, five inches it's right here, it's right here. And it's like, but it's not here. What are you talking about? And then it's like, oh, it turns out it was above you. And it's yeah. like, how many years of marine training <laughs> did it take to be like, maybe it, maybe we look up, maybe it's, you know, it's- Hold on, uh, there's a third dimension? Yeah. Seven. Six.
3: that's
1: inside the room it's reading right man look but these tracers have reduced things to two dimensions and that's all anyone can see right Uh and this is actually happening in the real world in a lot of ways this is the 80s this is the rise of financialization right this is going on yeah and so they pick up that these colonists or their bodies are on the
0: trackers and so they go into Figure out what's going on and go figure it's
1: an alien hive that they run into and the marines all get fucked up. And all the characters who we haven't addressed, whose names you don't know, conveniently die. That does work out very nicely for us. In what's, I think like, like, in terms of just pure action, the, the, uh, the height of the film. I don't know if you agree, but like, it's just like you've got the high officer kind of watching from the screen on the ship. And so you've got this, like, separation between what he's seeing and what's actually going on. He's a drone operator, essentially. Yeah, exactly.
0: But, like, human drones. Yeah,
1: and what's actually going on is beyond what can be represented on the screen. Mm -hmm. And everyone is just getting fucked up. Yeah. It doesn't even... We can't even summarize it because people are just, like... just, just, And people, you think... Are less important people think are more important, just being indiscriminately slaughtered. A couple people get out. And this is, I think, the high point of the film for me. I'm like, okay, people are getting fucked up, people are getting slaughtered, shit is going to hell. Sergeant O'Pone gets killed. Yeah. Like, the, Yeah, no, he's leader. one of the most dis- distinctive characters up to this point. He yeah. goes out. And unfortunately, then you look at the clock and it's like, 50% of the film is yet to go. <laughs> yeah. You're like, I thought we were like 75% of the way in yeah. quick final act. Get out of here. Right? But...
0: <laughs> no, but it, it, at least the, really the, the oh. whole, that whole scene, what it's really establishing is they like, they, the Marines are sort of picking at, there's now multiple face hugger corpses. And that's where you realize, Oh, we're not an alien territory. We got aliens. With mm-hmm. a plural. We got we got the S on there.
1: Yeah, so tell us about how that happened, Ethan. Because <laughs> so, it's not uh, Alien 2. It's when you, Aliens.
0: When you think about films at this day and age, like Godfather, Godfather Part <laughs> 2, it's all... Godfathers. <laughs> Godfathers. I, what a Star, Wars is... Star Wars. Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Star Wars with the apostrophe after the S. Um... <laughs> yeah so it's it's always like a part two it should have been alien two uh which was originally what it was going to be but the apparently what happened is james cameron really trying to sell the film to the fox
1: studios which just to reiterate to be clear like the first film is directed by ridley scott Mm -hmm. who also makes like bonnie and clyde blade runner yeah. Some bad films we're not going to talk about because we're going to maintain the fiction that Ridley Scott's a good <laughs> filmmaker for the duration of this podcast. Uh-huh. But the second film, and this is what's weird about the Alien franchise, is, is up until the more recent ones where Ridley Scott kind of retakes over, it's a different director each time. And, it's, it's, yeah. and they're all famous directors. Yeah, like David Fincher does <laughs> Alien. David Fincher does three, yeah. and then some French guy does <laughs> Alien Resurrection. Hell <laughs> as old as time. He's probably canceled. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It's a sex thing. Um, so, 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 so James Cameron, um, uh, apparently went into the pitch for Alien 2 and wrote the word alien on the, the whiteboard there to the executives and then drew an S for aliens and then Two lines to make it a money sign. So it's alien with a money sign or aliens. And that was his pitch of like, the film's going to be called aliens and it's going to make so much fucking bank.
1: And I want to make fun of this. (laughs) Every part of my body wants to make fun of this. But then I'm the asshole because (laughs) this film made so much money. And it wasn't just that this film made money because alien made a lot of money. Right, but it's not just that this film made money. It's that this film made money in a way that perpetuated the making of money forever. Yeah, yeah. Well, and 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 uh, the conser- the studio didn't want to
0: bring back Sigourney Weaver because she thought oh, that that would cost us too much money. The idea was always that you make a sequel and it costs twice as much and makes half as much, mm-hmm. and so. James Cameron fought to get Sigourney Weaver included in Aliens because mm-hmm. I think he could foretell that it's always like Terminator in space. Yeah, well, and this is the thing about
1: James Cameron, who is the most inexplicably profitable filmmaker ever. Yeah, I, I, I want to hear
0: what you distill down into the thing about James Cameron. I want to <laughs> hear what the thing is. So please, go on.
1: Because James Cameron saw that this wasn't about making a second film with a higher budget that makes less as you said whether or not that would happen yeah he saw that this he saw the future he was like this isn't this is about making aliens plural and that's not just about making alien 3 or alien resurrection alien right. covenant whatever the other one was prometheus <laughs> it's about making action figures Don't it's about alien making video games Predator. It's about making crossover series Right? It's about making Aliens everywhere Diegetically and extra-diegetically It is about Making it so that there can Be This proliferation of images That don't have to be new They just have to be iterative We just have to have copies and copies And it's not that we have to come up with something new It's just that, hey, we copied We pressed Control v four times Instead of two Hmm You know, and it's all just about new iterations. And this film doesn't really change anything, but it's like, oh, no, some of the aliens are bigger. Some of them have uh, reproductive capacities, all these kind of stuff. Right. But it's like, you know, but that has a shelf life,
0: because when you look at the the poster for Alien 3, it says three. God, I don't believe they actually went with this three times the suspense,
1: three times the danger, three times the terror. See, that though is the exact kind of math that James Cameron is not interested in. <laughs> because what you're talking about <laughs> is simple multiplication. You're like, three aliens, three times the fun, three times the money. James Cameron is interested in exponents beyond your comprehension. <laughs> so by the time he's made Alien into. He's made one. Of, like, it's like if. Here's the thing, we gotta remember. We're not talking about. The fucking sequel to john wick we're talking about this like art film that inexplicably made some money but see this is the thing is like cameron is going from this to like i'm gonna make a film about a fucking sinking boat <laughs> and It's going to make $2 billion. And fuck you also. (laughs) And then I'm going to make a film called Avatar. He understands the spectacle. He (laughs) absolutely gets it years ahead of everybody else. Uh Yeah. Like, he is so far ahead of us. We don't know what's going on. Mm -hmm. He's going to make a film in Avatar that (laughs) everyone who listens to this... And everyone who didn't listen to this Love podcast, you. which yeah. is most people, <laughs> saw Avatar. No one remembers anything about it. It made like $3 billion, <laughs> right? He got your money. He doesn't give a shit if you remember. Yeah. He was like, I'm going to make this thing that makes money. And it I know w- how to make things that make money.
0: It would not have made that sort of money if he had released it two years later. So he, no. he like is very prescient, and when he does the things he does, too, it's pretty brilliant. He
1: sees the opening and yeah. he takes it, and it never makes any sense. <laughs> he makes Terminator Two. Well, he made the Terminator, which, you know that's early in his career. That's what he does right before this. Yeah, but he makes Terminator Two. I think one of the greatest action movies ever. One of like the hit action movies of now the nineties. Why 90s. do you think it wasn't called Terminators? Because he knew it wasn't the time. for. He knew he couldn't do it twice. (laughs) He knew he couldn't do it twice. This is the thing about him. He is always, the minute you think you know what the thing to do is, because you're like, okay, we're making films about sinking ships from history. Things that really happened. I got it. I'm going to do this too. He's been in a room for seven years. (laughs) Coming up with what blue people look like. On the planet Pandora. And you're like... You're looking at him and you're saying... Ha ha, James Cameron. There's no way that figuring out what blue people look like for seven years is worth it. And then he's like, I just made three billion dollars. What have you ever done in your entire life? This man is plugged into capital in ways we can't possibly comprehend. It's
0: only in the way that a man who was originally a truck driver and then saw Star Wars and
1: said, well, here comes the future of film. And now Andrew Yang's trying to automate truck driving, and where's James Cameron? He's making Avatar (laughs) 2 through 7. Yeah. Which that... You think James Cameron's going to run for mayor of New York? Fuck off. He's going to be mayor of whatever city Jeff Bezos found (laughs) in seven years. He's laying the foundations now. You're laughing at him, and he's laughing at you all the way to the bank. His safety deposit box is the size of 40 safety deposit boxes. It's a giant middle finger. It's inflatable.
0: This has gone so far off the rails that I feel like this episode should be called You're Tall, but I'm Standing in Front of Yous. Um, so (laughs) So, returning... As you will, some of you may remember we were talking about the film Aliens. James um, Cameron. <laughs> so, at this point, the Marines are fucked up. Uh, a few of them have survived, but.
1: The, the- armored car is broken.
0: Yeah, they fuck up Ripley an axle. Blew the axle.
1: Ac- Ripley blew the axle. Yeah, but- she doesn't know how to drive properly.
0: <laughs> What really happened is they finished the action scene of ripley driving the car through the base to rescue the marine so the 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 armored car wasn't useful anymore so that's why the axle broke and we're done with it but you have some survivors they need to hole up in the base um they do that the armor car is fucked the helicopter is fucked they try and rescue them and uh there's an alien aboard the helicopter and it crashes um you know i guess the aviators didn't help the pilot in that instance um and so (laughs) the commanding officer hilariously hits his head so he's i think knocked out out the same year (laughs) (laughs) but the commanding officer's knocked out conveniently um for for this moment uh and you do have a few back and forth quips uh, you get the "Game Over, Man," "Game Over, Man" line.
1: That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over.
0: As there's after the helicopter crashes, a lot of like the classic lines happen. Yeah,
1: I mean, far. and that's like there's a reason that is the most remembered line of the film, right? Like, why? Not tra- Could you please explain? Because <laughs> I don't actually know why. Well, because that's the '80s, right?
0: Yeah. The '80s. Please, please, is... I want you to connect to this like Mario Brothers. Go on.
1: Well, no, but it's like the 80s... Well, the video games are a way through its expressed. Your right? Your mother has given you
0: eight quarters. Your
1: mother's given you eight quarters. When it's no, game no, over. No, but this is the serious thing, though. It's like, you know, your father had a union job. <laughs> the factory is closed down. The 80s was the decade where it was like, this actually is game over. This is the game over of New Deal capitalism. Like, we are recognizing that the bill of goods we were sold is not going to work out it's not going to continue i'm not going to have the same experience my parents had but also there's nothing i can do about it than be fucking nihilistic so i'm going to go to heavy metal i'm going to go to video games i'm going to go to these different Art forms that are ways of expressing the fact that there's nowhere else to go, and that is game over, man. You uh,
0: took that much deeper than I would have, <laughs> uh, and i, I uh, that's my role. I that's my I appreciate you for that. Thank you. Because uh, I would have done like a Super Mario Brothers thing. So I, I appreciate you actually. And they are coming out with a
1: sequel, and we are going to do an episode about it
0: on the sequel or just because I, I deeply demand that we do an episode on super mario
1: brothers the film we're gonna do like we're gonna do super rare brothers the film actually yeah, yeah. super mario brothers super <laughs> mario brothers and we're going to do i think we have to do like a video portion where we play like a mario game together <laughs> yeah there yeah that. but uh so the survivors
0: are back at the main base Uh, the armor car is fucked. Everything is fucked. Um, and, and now they're, they're stuck there trying to like hole up and get ready for when the aliens do eventually come. Uh, and at this point, actually one interesting thing is Paul Reiser's character decides, uh, because Ripley is kind of in on the fact that he, he is the reason why they're there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we get this idea that Paul Reiser's character, Burke, is kind of a dipshit. Uh, There's this exchange between Ripley and Burke where she lets on that she knows what he's been up to. Uh, Ripley says...
3: Just like they'll know that you were responsible for the deaths of 157 colonists. Wait a second. You sent them to that ship. You're wrong. I just checked the colony log. Directive dated 61279, signed Burke, Carter J. You sent them out there and you didn't even warn them. Why didn't you warn them, Burke? Okay,
1: look. What if that ship didn't even exist? Did you ever think about that? I didn't know. So now, if I went and made a major security situation out of it, everybody steps in. Administration steps in, and there's no exclusive rights for anybody. Nobody wins. So I made a decision, and it was wrong. It was a bad call, Ripley. It was a bad
3: call. Bad call? Right. These people are dead, Burke! Don't you have any idea what you've done here? Well, I'm going to make sure that they nail you right to the wall for this. You're not going to sleaze your way out of this one. Right to the wall.
2: Ripley,
1: I, you know, I expected more from you. I thought you'd be smarter
3: than this. I'm happy to disappoint you.
0: So, Ripley is on to Burke. Uh, Burke is pissed off that Ripley is on to him. Uh, And I had this... Oh, Lord. Going into this film, I had my kind of 10-year-old perception that this is... And I said this in our our episode about Predator that Alien is more explicitly anti corporatist, which Alien is. Alien is in it like in a more in a subtle but consistent way. But Aliens, uh, is not in the way that I remember it. Uh, and and when you look at this exchange, it to me even emphasizes this idea that well it wasn't the company that was asking them to go in and secure this alien and bring it back it was you know you can make a general argument that oh Burke is motivated by profit and blah 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 blah. but it wasn't oh the company told them to go in and, right. and secure an alien and bring it back so it's, it's really muddles this anti-corporatist idea that I thought the film
1: brought up but this makes me wonder, is it actually more of a sophisticated, anti-corporatist take? Which, not to do the position that you just parodied, <laughs> but, like, this is the thing. The truth is, from Burke's perspective, he is doing his job. He's doing all he can, right? Yeah. And so the problem is the system, right? And do you disagree?
0: I So I do, um, but we have... Um, perhaps a disagreement here whereas i think that it it puts it on the individual it says well the issue of what happened here was burke he put in a call that got these colonists killed that went outside the order of command of how he should have done it in the company and again you can make an argument like oh he did it because he was motivated by profit and blah, blah but like it it makes it The insinuation to me is that it is individually motivated as opposed to an inherent flaw in the system of how the company is
1: set up. My question would be, if he hadn't made that call, would he have been fired? Because in the world where he doesn't make the call, we don't know it goes to shit, right? So I think there is this, you know, I am by no means trying to claim this, film is doing this intentionally huh? but i do think this film is sniffing the line of reaganomics hmm. like the purest cocaine you've ever seen <laughs> in the straightest and whitest line you can imagine and in that i feel like it gets it how it actually works i'm not saying it's being critical of it But I'm saying this is how it works Is Individuals feel they have no choice Do they actually have no choice? I'm not sure But they feel they have no choice That's what I want to posit Yeah, so you're saying that Burke essentially Did what he had to do
0: Within the context of what his role is
1: Yeah, and they design his role Such that He will feel that he has no choice And that's the plausible deniability Right, so then they can be like well, you know, we didn't tell him to do that. We don't want him to do that. Hmm. But the people who don't do the things Burke does keep getting fired. And then occasionally a Burke accidentally colonizes a planet <laughs> inhabited by Xenomorphs, culminating in our world in the yeah. Alien versus Predator franchise, which makes everyone lots of money. Yeah, and I and I
0: Deeply appreciate how much more you thought into this than James Cameron did, um,
1: but... Uh, it's what I do, baby. It's what I get paid the big bucks to do for exactly 11 more months. That's right. Subscribe to our Patreon we don't have. And please. My God, my family is literally dying. Um, But, you know,
0: regardless of whether or not he's a... You know pawn in the system Burke does eventually unleash some face huggers to try and uh, impregnate essentially uh, Ripley and Newt uh, so that they can bring the specimen
1: back without it being detected still not clear for me why it's that important to get a specimen throughout the throughout the series to this point what yeah. is going so poorly <laughs> that you need a specimen do you have any ideas about this I
0: mean have you seen the quarter three reports? <laughs> yeah the thing I love is immediately preceding uh, the scene where Ripley and Newt escape the face huggers. they like put a fire alarm
1: on so the marines classic, come in and say the, yeah classic film yeah you, if you've watched action films you know if you're ever captured in a room with smoke detectors you just you pull out the lighter you happen to have. Yeah. And you light one of those. You get one of those smoke detectors going. Then yeah. everyone knows something's going on in the room. And they do, and they save them
0: and kill the face huggers. And because what I
1: do when I'm one of 12, one of five, <laughs> what is the number at this point? It's single yeah It's so. Oh Lord, I have to say. So it's Vasquez. It's the CEO Hicks. Hudson, the CEO Hudson. Uh, ripley rip yeah ripley. Mute. Mute. And, when uh, i'm one of a small number yeah seven. of living marines yeah and two of us are in one room and everyone else is in another room yeah. i don't keep very close tabs on the on the second <laughs> room i take care of my bathroom breaks i get my kombucha brewing. Because that takes it takes weeks.
0: It was really a, a statement about the state of the American military uh, pre-Reaganomics, where you know it was really falling apart, not ready to uh, to combat a Soviet threat. And I wish moment. I could apply... have you ever seen meatballs. I. <laughs> to murder Ripley and they yeah. and once they rescue Ripley they realize very quickly what has happened uh more more specifically Ripley realizes what has happened and she somehow recognizes the entirety of Burke's plan in a way that is unsettlingly complete so because I
1: had no idea at that point because no. I have to be honest I gotta be honest this point in the film So, just speaking of temporality in the film, Mm -hmm. the slaughter of the Marines is literally the exact halfway point through the film. Yeah. It is 50% through. Yeah. And up to that point, I was like, you know, this film's good. I like this movie. People are going to keep being slaughtered. Things are happening. It's pretty dynamic. There's some corporate critiques. Fucking idiot. The, like,. As, like, I'm just, like, a driver of a Tesla trying to commute to work without dying at this point. <laughs> and my wheels are falling off. And I'm veering into a pole. And yeah. uh, I'm... It, my car is on fire. Yeah. And my the handles of my door have retracted inside of the car. Because that's a cool futuristic thing for my car to do. But, like... At this point in the film, I'm just like, what the fuck is ha- is even
0: going on? So you're sort of like Corporal Hicks, who in that moment says...
2: It just doesn't make any goddamn sense.
3: He figured that he could get an alien back through quarantine. If one of us was impregnated. Whatever you call it. And then frozen for the trip home. Nobody would know about the embryos we were carrying. Me and Newt. Wait a minute now. We'd all know. Yes, the only way he could do it is if he sabotaged certain freezers on the way home. Namely yours. Then he could jettison the bodies and make up any story he liked.
0: I love this because she um, apparently knows the entirety of Burke's plot. This is so...
1: Nuts. I mean, listen, listen to what you're saying. It's paranoid delusion. It's really sad. It is paranoid delusion, Yeah. but it's only paranoid delusion in the sense of thinking Burke would have to come up with a story to cover it up instead of being like, hey, the company, I did exactly what you wanted and no explanation is required. Yeah,
0: well, but this is where Ripley says the closest quote we get to any critique on any of this at all, which is...
3: You know, Burke, I don't know which species is worse. You don't see them fucking each other over for a goddamn percentage.
0: And that is literally the closest we get to any critique of the situation as it has evolved throughout the course of the mm-hmm. plot of this film yeah. is that one line. And I guess maybe <laughs> when I was 10, I took that line I was like, yeah, look at this. Uh, it's really showing it to the corporation. But in mm-hmm. retrospect, it's such a fucking throwaway. Yeah. Uh, it's so useless. And
1: it's only because... It can only even be said because the protagonists are Marines, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, in the first film, they're workers. They're just, like, fucking miners and shit. They're just guys trying to get by. And in this film, it's, oh, you're fucking over the Marines. (laughs) That's dishonorable. And then we're back to the Predator logic we were talking about before, where it's basically kind of reproducing what we were talking about between... Uh, Dutch and Dylan. Yeah,
0: sounds, whatever yeah. Carl Weathers' character <laughs> is called,
1: you know, where it's like Dylan, oh, you s- son of a bitch. Yeah, there's a there is a non evil portion of the military complex that's being fucked over by a more evil portion of the military yeah. complex, rather than everything's fucked.
0: So, anyways, the aliens obviously come and attack, and they, it's kind of dumb how these aliens are just, like, yeeting at the marines. As Compared to Alien, the film, where there's one alien that kills everybody. Mm-hmm. You have these aliens just, like, jumping at them, getting mm. murdered
1: and, like, slaughtered by the they marines. They only make... It's video game logics, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Because the, throughout this entire film, aliens are able to be killed according to what the film needs them to be killed by you know do you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. like if the film needs ripley to kill 17 aliens in 30 seconds she does it somehow even though five aliens killed 15 (laughs) marines at some point earlier Mm -hmm. it's like what are we even talking about here no but it's but um
0: it it brings to mind a line i'll take sigourney weaver's line frankly in describing this whole um ridiculousness of the shoot 'em up at this point Mm -hmm. um she's contrasting alien versus aliens in the behind the scenes and i mentioned before sigourney weaver i get the impression is not as big a fan of aliens as she is of alien Mm -hmm. uh and she says in in describing these action scenes uh with where they're shooting everything.
3: That was tough. Cuz I think that that real strength and unpredictability comes from not having an obvious weapon.
0: Ah. Uh, mm-hmm. And she's essentially in in so many words contrasting the way that Alien plays out versus Aliens where like it's just a, you know, shoot 'em up at this point in the film. It's, it's like aliens are coming at them. It's very quick. They blow know. up. Yeah, like you know, Bill Paxton's character Hudson dead. Uh, the CEO and Vasquez dead. But they blow up a have bunch time. of aliens.
1: They kill a bunch of aliens with them. Mm-hmm. It's a shoot 'em up. But you don't have time to grieve anyone. No mm-hmm. one mattered either. You know. And then we get this like tiny bit where Vasquez and the the I don't know the name of him the previously knocked out superior <laughs> <laughs> officer. <laughs> They're like fuck them or whatever, Mm -hmm. and they like let's together press the grenade that will kill an insignificant amount of (laughs) aliens, and like you know, and this here we're in some kind of like we're essentially in like Saving Private Ryan, we're in some kind of militaristic film where it's just like these people are gonna die, but the fact that they killed other people as they died. Makes them good, oh, it's but, pari- but but because these are aliens, they're not people. Oh, so of we, course, we them. don't yes. even have to. We don't even have to talk about like, oh, they were Nazis or something. Yeah. Quote Saving Private Ryan because yeah. we've made them into into these capital O others, but they're probably better than Nazis. I don't <laughs> know. Mm. Uh, I'll uh, I'll put my foot down on that. Yeah, sure. You heard it here first. Aliens. Better than Nazis.
0: The thing I find really interesting about this point in the film is how closely it actually parallels Predator. Of the like, it's all the ancillary characters are buying time for who you have now realized are the lead characters. Mm. So Vasquez and the CEO blow themselves up. Uh, Bill Hicks' character Hudson uh, dies fighting the aliens. They're all dying to buy time for the other survivors to. Get to, you know, the escape essentially to get to the the, the space chopper. <laughs> get to the chopper. Um, that's but it's a, it's a parallel I think of, yeah. of how Predator. No, plays you're at. exactly right.
1: You're exactly right.
0: Yeah, uh, and and so this is all going on, um, and uh, at this point uh bishop the artificial person is is apparently maybe going to call in a ship to save them nobody really knows at this point but newt newt gets captured by the aliens as they're
1: trying to escape yeah and ripley is completely certain yeah, then so maybe
0: let's let's talk about this because I know that uh, when you were watching the film, I told you mm-hmm. there are two moments in this film where I feel like it jumps the shark. And I said, I won't tell you where I think those two moments are, but let's reconvene when we actually record this. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'd like to um, have that conversation now because right now is the first moment where I feel like the film jumped the shark, which is where Newt gets captured by the aliens and, uh, Ripley decides not, I'm going to get the fuck off this planet. And, you know, because obviously Newt is dead. Mm -hmm. Uh, she says, I'm going, because I'm a mother, I'm going to go rescue Newt, my child. I'm going to go to the hive. And that's where I feel
1: like the film first jumped the shark. So, I had this exactly pegged. Oh, right. As the first moment the film jumps the shark. And I will say, you told me this beforehand. And I spent the entire time I was watching the film, like, plagued by this. (laughs) I was like, my God, if I don't identify the two times Ethan thinks the film jumps the shark, how will I ever face him again? And then, like, when I reached those two moments, I was like, how did i ever doubt ethan (laughs) it's so hilariously obvious but specifically to me to refine what you just said it's not just that newt goes missing and the previously incredibly pragmatic ripley forgoes all of that all of her like go up to the heavens and nuke the planet because mm-hmm. that's what has to be done shit. Yeah. Because she feels motherly. Yeah,
0: because but- again, she says that after, you know, half the Marines have been taken by the aliens. Maybe, they, they even know they're not all dead. Mm-hmm. They know that some of them are not quite dead yet. But she's like, oh yeah, of course, nuke it from orbit. That's the only thing we can do. But once it's new, then I need
1: to go save her. Yeah, and the line Ripley repeats over and over again to Hicks. Is it Hicks? Mm-hmm. Is, uh, they don't, kill you. They, don't kill you. they don't kill you. And I'm just like, I'm hearing this. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> they just killed all of you. <laughs> like, maybe Hudson survived yeah. and is being cocooned. But, like, we've seen almost everyone being literally killed on screen. The, so
0: I think earlier in the film, they had, uh, they had said, like, Sergeant Opone and maybe one other person weren't dead. They were still mm-hmm. getting life sign readings, which essentially meant it was like when they uh, when they first went into the hide, they found a colonist who wasn't quite dead but was like, kill me, because they were infected and mm-hmm. they, they were going...
1: But, like, they're yeah. going to die. Here's the thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do lie. they deserve to die yes yeah. yes and i hope they burn in hell yeah. but also if we're going to discern amongst their deaths mm-hmm. how does newt rise above them the only way is through recourse to this idea of motherhood yeah this idea You know, which, this is really what we should, I don't even want to go in any other directions, because this is what we should talk about at this point.
0: Well, it's a central theme of the film, and so... uh, As the Wikipedia article will
1: tell you. (laughs) Because if you go to the Wikipedia article for Aliens, it says that motherhood (laughs) is the central theme of the film, and it just has a picture of a generic, by which I mean white, because that's what the person that posted this thinks is generic (laughs) to them. Mm Mm-hmm uh white mother holding up a white baby so let's let's i think a
0: good starting point is let's contrast alien with aliens because mm-hmm. alien there is a lot of subtext around sexuality and sex mm-hmm. um and you can think the you know, hr giger for uh the a lot of the imagery and mm-hmm. like the design like Frankly, the entire alien ship looks like a vagina
1: by yeah. design.
0: Uh, but the idea is you have a, you know, you have a male crew member that is, um, impregnated. impregnated or raped by a alien being. Or and, both. Yeah, indeed. And then gives birth to, or, and is essentially killed in the act of doing this, but is, is killed by this alien being birthed from him. And so it's there's like this subtle background of like it reverses the um, gender norms of like, oh, women are impregnated and give birth to uh, offspring. And it's like, no, it says, no, okay no, there's a man that is impregnated by this alien and uh, gives birth to the epitomous alien of the film and dies as a result of it. So there's a lot of like it's very clear in the film. But it's never explicitly laid out. Yeah. Whereas in Aliens, it's well, Ripley is a woman, um, and therefore uh, there's uh, there's she has a motherly bond with New. And so I think let so before I think we want to chat about this, but yeah. uh, but let me just set the scene that um, I think what most people want to hear is. Uh, two straight white guys talk about motherhood um and that's a joke but also like let's be clear the theme of motherhood in the film of aliens was written in the screenplay in the screenplay by james cameron a white dude yeah so like we're talking about motherhood in this like white male perspective but also the film was written By a straight white dude in the 1980s who was, like, very cheaply presenting the idea of motherhood. Yeah.
1: No, we're not talking about... We have nothing to say about motherhood as any kind of, like, trans-historical essence or something. Yeah. Whether or not it it exists as such. But to the mind of James Cameron, it did. Yeah. And we're talking about what he thought it was. Mm Mm-hmm. And what he thought it was was really fucked up. <laughs> and, you know, it's all of the potentially authentic gender politics of Alien mm-hmm. are just completely evacuated in the end point of this film. Because it, it, it becomes about this person who is ostensibly... Who is perceived by the viewer to be a woman. Because we're not really given any information beyond that. But she's perceived by the viewer of the 1986 film audience to be a woman. And she has to be redeemed as a mother. (laughs) She can't just be a badass. It's almost like...
0: It's almost hilarious and then you think about the film Alien where the AI on the ship is called mm-hmm. mother yeah uh, and the film and in aliens is like
1: critiquing it so hard yeah yeah
0: yeah and and and, and you have it's like a bludgeon in alien there are these undercurrents of gender and sex that uh, you know prevail throughout the film whereas in aliens you have a character like Vasquez who, well, how do they upend the trope of womanhood in the 80s? Oh, they become the the male trope of mm-hmm. an action figure in the yeah. 80s. Yeah. Um, you have the classic line that is often presented as like, oh, this is, look at this badass quote where uh, the one character says, Hey, Vasquez, have you ever been mistaken for a man? And she says,
2: No. Have you?
0: And so... Whereas in Alien, you have this undercurrent of sexuality and Mm -hmm. gender. Where in Aliens, James Cameron just writes in these very apparent uh, uh, references to Mm -hmm. gender. But his only response to it is like, oh, I'm going to flip it on his head. I'm Um, I'm going to have the female characters take on the traits of male characters figures in mm. 80s action films yeah that's how i upend the trope yeah. uh they can't be their own thing they need to become the the men of 80s action uh films absolutely yeah and, and that's yeah. that's his
1: that is his only trope and it plays out repeatedly throughout aliens you yeah, know she wields the same guns that men have wielded uh-huh. previously in the film yeah She pilots the same vehicles that men have uh, piloted earlier in the film. Yep. And uh, it doesn't lead to any kind of liberation or anything. No. And uh, it's just... Listen, we fucked you before you even went on this mission. (laughs) It was clear to the viewer we had fucked you. But now you're here. And you're just like... We're doing you a favor because you've reclaimed your being as a yeah. woman, as a female mother, yeah. because you found this dispossessed child. Who? Why is this <laughs> child lacking in parents? Because we have sent her parents to this yeah. colonized space to kill themselves. Well, there's something almost gross about when you think about alien,
0: where the character of Ripley was a strong female character because the screenwriter didn't write it as a woman character. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to how Ripley is presented in aliens, which is, Oh, it's a strong female character because one, she takes on the tropes of male eighties action figures, but two, she's a strong, she has this strong motherhood, uh, Attribute to her, uh, yeah. and and it's it's really gross in the way that it says that it like upends how they did it in Alien, which is that these gender norms are non-existent in this future. To mm-hmm. so like it, to an nth degree, reinforces the gender norms mm-hmm. in Aliens.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's vision of liberation is that it's like it Aliens is anxious about how an alien we skipped over the period where female gendered people didn't get their turn being oppressors in <laughs> a <that sort of laughs> sense, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like and this is where we need to focus in on the scene where um Ripley has her what I want to call negotiation. <laughs> With the alien queen. <laughs> oh my god! Which is just insane. Oh my god! So like, the alien queen, and we haven't been that specific about the plot up to this point because it doesn't matter. <laughs> it gives a fuck. But everyone's dead, and like, and they have this god. negotiation. Oh my god! Which is like, it's <laughs> this part of the film has no dialogue. Yeah. I mean, it's entirely like it's cuts between Ripley and the alien queen mm-hmm. and it's like the alien queen has all these eggs endlessly yeah and Ripley appears before her and it's a it's gonna be a conflict yeah but but then Ripley's like I got the f- flamethrower I'm gonna torture eggs I will fuck them up and she's like by she I mean the alien queen yeah she's like I don't want you to fuck up my eggs. Yeah. Yeah. So the queen is just like, I've got all these eggs. What are you going to do about it? And Ripley is like... I'll blow them up. Oh, I've got... You see the flamethrower? Yeah. And she does the, like, shots to the sky? Yeah. I'm going to burn these motherfuckers. Yeah. And she's like, the queen, I don't want to do this. Yeah. I don't want my eggs to be burned. She calls off the warriors who are there. She's like, back off, back off, back off. Don't do this. Yeah. And then Ripley's like... Gotcha. Thanks. And then she takes a couple sips back burns all the eggs. Yeah. They're all dead. Yeah. So we had this pot like and just going back to my points about colonialism earlier. Like, any possibility of It's how every one of those situations plays out. We're on the same team. Nope. Gotcha. No, I was tricking you. There is no authentic solidarity here. I'm I am a white settler motherfucker (laughs) fuck to the point of death. And A she nice. nopes out of there. She's um, out. She's gone.
0: Yeah, she's gone. She has the flames her, but she gets into the still working elevator, goes back up to the top. Uh, so she's trying to get the fuck out, you know? But she mm-hmm. looks around, and Bishop, the AI, the artificial life form, has noped off,
1: apparently. And she's like, well, fuck. And this is where she's confirming the fact that like, it's like, you were offered a truce. Yeah. You were offered to yeah. get the fuck out of yeah, here. Yeah, it's fine. Just get out. Get and out. I'll get the fuck out of yeah. here. Everyone's good. Yeah. And that... She decides to fuck up. This outside. is the thing, because it's not a moral critique. Mm-hmm. This is where, again, I am... I'm with James Cameron, and he's cashing uh-huh. his checks, and I'm like, but you're uh-huh. doing something. But you're doing something. I've got my hands on his shoulders. Yeah. And it like the money's coming out of the H M, but i'm like <laughs> but you're doing
0: something but let's be let's be clear at this point the fusion reactor is overheated it's going to blow up so yes. she did not have to do any of that that was yeah. a
1: purely spiteful act yes. on her part mm-hmm. uh and so she's but this like is the thing yeah this is the thing with paul reiser as well is he's dead wanna, at this point he's dead he was, like, killed by, like, a fucking, like, the thing that comes out of the mouth, where, like, the yeah, other no, mouth Yeah, no, he tried to run out. away from the aliens, and he, yeah. got, he got... There's alien. always a third mouth. Yeah. Um, so, at this
0: point, uh, Ripley runs away from the Alien Queen uh, after killing a bunch of her kids. Uh, goes up an elevator to escape with Bishop, the AI character who's gonna save them, but he, he is gone. The ship is gone, so they're like, "Oh, nobody's there. Go figure the a i fucked us over again, just like they did an alien, but uh at that moment the other <laughs> the other elevator dings, and the alien queen emerges from it, so she figured out how to operate an elevator, yeah, which
1: is just objectively hilarious, yeah, so this is the problem." You are the financialized, absolute nth degree of humanity. Mm-hmm. You've figured out how to behave. Yes, I am. You've invented yeah. elevators. Yes. You can't figure out how to make elevators confusing enough that aliens can't use them, mm-hmm. but not so confusing that stockbrokers can't use them. Ah,
0: and that that's what brings us to this this
1: this climax of the film. Yeah, I mean at this point, yeah. Aliens is basically Wolf of Wall Street negative two. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and I
0: will I would have forgiven you if you had said, "Oh, the second jump in the shark is the fact that an alien figures out the elevator." I am insulted. You think that about me? So it might be easy to say that this is where the second jump of the shark is going to be. Mm-hmm. But actually, it gets much worse because Ripley, uh, suddenly um, Bishop shows up with his, his ship. He's like, oh, I had to go. I it forgot was, about this. He was yeah. unstable. I had to run away. And Ripley and Nuke, uh, Newt, Newt jump. Newt. 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 Nuke Newt. Like a lizard. So Ripley and Newt hop on. <laughs> <laughs> Newt.
1: So Ripley... I and, would like to officially yeah. apologize for Ethan for not saying Newt.
0: So Ripley and Newt hop on the ship, and they they jump on it at the last moment uh, before everything blows up, and they they presumably escape with Bishop up into space. Um, but again, we saw that the alien queen had figured out how elevators work, so she was up there. Uh, they get up to the... Uh, Mothership, we think. Oh, we're, it's the, the mothership. It's the it's the end of things. We've we've made the it.
1: Mothership.
0: <laughs> we've survived. This is the end. Uh, but oh wait, what? Uh, so they get back to the mothership mm-hmm. and they land. And I mentioned earlier how Bishop literally only exist as the kind of like the outsider that only exists to advance the character development of the
1: protagonist. Yeah. And I literally, every time watching this film that Bishop showed up on screen, my instinctive reaction was, Oh, Bishop is still alive (laughs) because I'm just like, yeah, I'm so many people have died. Yeah. And I'm just like, everyone's dead. And I'm like, oh, this guy is so is this. But he, he uh, you know, gets back up to the mothership. He, he
0: rescued he rescued uh, Ripley and Newt. Uh, and so. He comes back. Yeah. And so Ripley and Newt go off there and they are <sighs> rescued. And uh, Ripley says to Bishop. She says... Bishop,
3: you did okay. I did. Oh, yeah.
0: So this is Ripley overcoming her prejudice towards artificial people. She she had it from Alien because that android Mm -hmm. fucked up their whole ship. She has overcome it. She's grown as a character, so she's ready to say, Hey... Bishop,
1: I respect you as an individual. What I like about what you've just done in your reading of that scene yeah. is you're taking cues from the film. You're like, the film's giving me time to think about this. Yeah, It's giving me a second to register what's going on. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have my own thoughts about what's going on, and I'm going to go off in my direction. You're not talking about it as if within half a second... Of her saying, Bishop, you're alright. Uh-huh. That bishop is immediately <laughs> penetrated by a fucking spear yeah. of the of yeah. the alien queen. So which for a split second you're like, was he somehow infected or something? And then it's nope, like immediately nope. it's like, Don't worry about that. Yeah. Don't have any ambiguity whatsoever. He just was stabbed it, by an external object.
0: It fits the perfect trope of any um, You know, non-primary character, which is often like characters of color from, you know, films from this era. They only exist to advance the perspective or the character development of the protagonist. And go figure, Sigourney Reaver. The moment that Ripley says, "Uh, she says, Bishop, Bishop you did okay.
1: All right, you did Sorry, okay. He heard. is dead immediately. There is not a pause. Yeah, and, and, and no and, moment. And
0: they play it off as like, "Oh, this is like a, you know, it's a play on the the chest burst from the first film." Yeah, this...
1: for a second you think, "Oh, oh, Zurich's upset." Okay.
0: So Bishop is is fucked, um, and. And it immediately gives way to The mother v. mother scene Of the the Queen mother of the humans Ripley mm-hmm. and the queen mother of The
1: aliens the queen And this is where I was like I thought you were trolling me with like Where of the two scenes you think the film jumped the shark mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And eventually like So my initial reaction was like The initial jump the shark Is when Newt goes missing and they're like She's they don't kill you yeah. when they've killed like 17 people up to that point. Yeah. But then I was like, I was doubting myself because yeah. there was a lot of time left in the film. Mm-hmm. But when Sigourney Weaver steps back yes. and is like, I see to the alien queen, I see you're upset. Let me get back to you. And then is like, the door's open, and she's like, you remember how ten minutes into this film that has been interminably long, mm-hmm. which you are like, if you're me, have been watching for seven days or whatever the fuck it was, uh, in, f- in, like, full, like, it's like a forklift, but if that was a person, yeah, <laughs> armor... Yeah, like that's where I was like, "All right, if this is not one of the two moments Ethan says the film is jumping the shark, <laughs> I'm discontinuing the podcast." <laughs> so, can I tell you the exact moment I think that the second jumping of the
0: shark happens? Uh, it's not even the fact that she, she's fighting the alien queen in the the suit. It's towards the end of that fight where she opens the. Uh, the airlock to space and she's now out of her you know you had this whole absurd moment where she's like uh, I think she says her her um, exact lines get away from her you bitch some gender language this is the, remember. this um, is the most yeah.
1: remembered line from the film besides Game Over Man yeah and I yeah. just want to say what does it mean that the two lines that are most remembered of this film are like, uh, what the fuck was it you just said? Get away from her, you bitch. You bitch, yep. game over man. Yep. Both end with a comma and an assertion yeah. of a gendered separation. Pronouns are uh, that very clear that That uh, defends my gendered violence against Yeah. Them.
0: So I feel like the second jumping of a shark was specifically when the alien queen got sucked out of the airlock while Ripley was just like looped around a pole like, I'm fine, I'm hanging on, look at this.
1: The power of one bicep. That's all it took. The
0: alien queen is dead. Humanity,
1: womanhood of humanity prevails. And they come out of this, and everyone's dead mm-hmm. once again, except yeah. for Ripley, and yeah. this time a child. And Hicks. Hicks is blind. And Hicks, because James Cameron was like, "This dude is going to be famous. I'm yeah. going to make him famous." He yeah. wasn't famous. Uh-huh. He's in these two films. That's what he's known for. Yeah. And it doesn't go anywhere. And it sure doesn't. The limits of my dude's power. My dude is James Cameron, as I've made clear. It doesn't scale to individuals. My dude, James Cameron, exists on a higher plane than hmm. that. But he tried to scale it down. It didn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, Alien versus Predator.
0: It really... It comes down to those two, doesn't it? First off, they blend much more than I had anticipated coming into this. Yeah, because I had the picture of aliens as a like this anti corporatist kind of
1: the thinking man's predator, yeah. <laughs> and it was um, not that. But so, where do we land on this film, Ethan? Where do we write it? Um, if you have the choice of watching Aliens, just watch Alien. Mm-hmm. That is my recommendation. But nonetheless, I still give it three Shiloh buffs. <sighs> That's
0: interesting. So I was going to say uh, 36 Shia LaBeouf's, because um, I, I go out of 100, um, and that's, that's uh, I feel like, a, a lower amount, just statistically speaking, than what you, because I'm assuming you're three, you go out
1: of uh, five or six? I go out of 7,000, but you <laughs> convince me, four Shia LaBeouf's. Yeah, yeah. The point is, and I want to make this very clear. Yeah. It's not good, folks. It's not good. But if it was good, would we be talking about it? Thank you for listening to your tall, but I'm standing in front of you. Please find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or the podcast of your choice. And do give us a five-star rating if you don't want to give us a five-star rating. Get bent! You can follow us on Twitter, at YourTallPod. That's your with an E. Follow Ethan at Mathisipi. Or follow me at Stale Cooper. If you have thoughts about what you'd like us to watch or read next, DM us at Twitter or email us at yourtallpod at gmail.com.